0: ...context of the book of Joshua, the person of Joshua, and the promised land uh, that God was giving to the Israelites. And we talked about how this land of Canaan, this land is called the promised land, because it had been promised by God over and over and over again, going back centuries. This wasn't any land, it was a promised land given to the Israelites, And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which comes right before Joshua, and in Joshua chapter 1, we find the Israelites, God's people, right on the edge of that promised land, right on the other side of the Jordan River of of Canaan. And uh, Moses, God's appointed leader for the Israelites for decades, he had just died. And uh, God kind of didn't make a big deal about it. He just said, next man up, Joshua, you're up, let's go. Israelites, I have given you the promised land. It's yours. I have won the victory already. Everywhere your foot goes, I'll give it to you. Go and take it. And it's a tall task, but be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid because I am with you. God promises his presence. He promises his power. He promises the land. And so chapter 1 kind of sets up the stage for the rest of the book of Joshua, because over and over again, story after story, we see the strength of God, we see the might of God, we see the faithfulness of God as the people uh, take the land of Canaan and take the promised land. And that brings us to where we pick up in chapter 2. Uh, now this, <clears throat> excuse me. We uh, this chapter is kind of long, so we're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, I'm going to sum up parts, read parts. I encourage you to follow along with me in Joshua chapter two. Uh, do we have any spy thriller fans in the room? You can be honest. I, I like raise of hands. I like woo those uh, spy thrillers. I feel like there's more than five, but that's okay. Uh, spy thrillers. I love a good spy thriller. James Bond. Uh, love uh, grew up watching James Bond with my dad, right? Love that kind of stuff. Love the Mission Impossible, uh, but I also love like better spy movies uh, and TV shows, right? Like uh, Homeland's a great one. Uh, there's this uh, Amazon Prime, Jack Ryan, so good. These great spy thrillers, right? Well, that's kind of the vibe that we get here at the beginning of Joshua chapter two. Because God just commissioned Joshua and the Israelites, go take the land. And Joshua, being the the great military leader that he was, that God appointed, he sent spies, two spies, into the promised land for this recon mission to kind of scope it out, right? He sent these spies in there. And Moses, he kind of sent spies too. remember he sent 12 spies decades before, he sent so, uh, spies to kind of say like, hey, can we actually take this land kind of out of like a lack of faith? But, but Joshua, on the other hand, he sends these spies out of faith saying, we're going to go take the land, let's prepare to go take it, let's send these spies, get a scope, see what we need to do. And so Joshua sent these two spies into the land to get the lay of the land. And he specifically says, go into the city of Jericho. And so if you uh, know Old Testament stories and stuff, you probably know about the city of Jericho. Uh, I brought a map. There it is. Uh, So Jericho, you see it. We'll get to that in a second. Right that little river right there, the Jordan River, River Jordan. See the Dead Sea, River Jordan. The Israelites right here in uh, Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 2. They're right on the right side of the Jordan River. Okay, they're right on the other side of the Jordan River. They haven't crossed over into the promised land yet. Promised land's over here. They're on this side. They're in a place called Shittam. And they're on the right side, camped out there. He sends the spies. You see right on the other side of the Jordan River is a place called Gilgal. That's We'll come to find, I want to, spoiler alert. They, they cross the Jordan River eventually, and they, they camp out in Gilgal, and it's right outside of that city, Jericho, right? So they're right on the other side of the Jordan River. And so Joshua, being strategic, he says, hey, go to Jericho. Why? Because it was a strategic city. It was the first large city that they would come to. It was kind of like a stronghold in the area, military outpost." Big city, big walls around it, if you know the story. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Big city, big walls, military outpost. So Joshua says, go to Jericho, because he knew it was not only the first city they're going to come to, but if they take Jericho, then Ai is right behind it, divide and conquer the land. So it was a strategic move. And so he says, go to Jericho. It's first on the list. So like all these spy thrillers that we love so much or the five of us love so much, they go into the land of Canaan and they scope it out, right? They get get a lay of the land, checking out where the big cities are and, and, and which ones are the strong cities and all that stuff. And then they make it into Jericho, the big city with big strong walls and the big military outposts. Unfortunately, it doesn't tell us how that happened. I feel like that'd be really cool, but they make it in there and they're probably taking a look at the city. They're taking a look at how many people live there, where everything is located, how many soldiers are there, where the, where the, what the like, rotation of the soldiers and the guards are, when the gates are open, when they're closed, all the spy stuff, right? They're on this recon mission. And so there comes a point where they need a place to lay low, a place to stay, a place to kind of hide out, a place where people won't ask many questions of them. And they find, and maybe, you know, if they need to kind of get away real quick, they find this unlikely solution to their problem in a prostitute's house. This woman named Rahab, and she lived in the wall of the city. Remember, big wall around the city. Her house was in the wall. And so they go to Rahab's house in the wall of the city, this prostitute. Now, as much as we would like to think that this chapter is about this spy recon mission. It's clearly not, right? Like, we don't know the two spies' names. We uh, see, we'll see it in a few minutes, at the very end of the chapter when they report back, they bring like no good actual information. This is clearly not about them. It's more than just a spy mission here, it's about this woman named Rahab, this pagan prostitute. And there's a few things that we know right off the bat about Rahab. First, she's not an Israelite, okay? She is not a part of God's chosen nation. She was not in Egypt with them. She didn't cross the Red Sea, didn't see the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire, didn't see the miracles, didn't get the law, didn't see the tabernacle, none of that. She is not an Israelite. She is an outsider. And on top of not being an Israelite, she's an Amorite. So in uh, in the Canaan area, with the map was up there, the, the Canaan area, there's a lot of ites within the Canaanites, right? Canaan's a, kind of like a, a region, and all the other ites within it are there, right? These people groups. And she was in, in Amorite. And all throughout the Old Testament, God points out all these different ites. And they're like, they're sinful. They deserve destruction, They deserve my judgment. They're full of sin. Israel, stay away from them because they are detestable. But a lot of times he often lifts up the Amorites as like super terrible. Like they're the worst of the worst kind of. And she's not just not an Israelite. She is an Amorite. And then we see that she's a prostitute. Now, some Bible translators and stuff, they kind of get a little, like, nervous about this. Like, eh, no, she wasn't really a prostitute. Like, she just owned the hotel, right? She's an innkeeper. But if you look at the Hebrew word, it is it's clear. Like, the literal translation is harlot. Like, it is clear. She was a prostitute. There's no getting around that, right? So we know that she is not an Israelite. She is an Amorite, this pagan group of people who worshipped other gods. And it's actually believed that they sacrifice kids in worshiping of their other, their, their other gods, their many gods. And she's a prostitute. And she's the main character of this story. And so the, the spies go to her to kind of lay low. What better place to go than a prostitute's house? No one's going to ask questions there. Well, lo and behold, as soon as they get there, it seems, the word gets out. People find out that these Israelite spies were at Rahab's. And it's funny because in a few verses we'll see that everybody in the city was kind of on high alert. They knew the Israelites were coming. But the word gets to the king of Jericho, and he's freaking out. So he sends these soldiers to go get these spies. we got to get rid of these guys. And so they send them, and they knock at the door. Rahab sent us the Israelites. We know they're in there. We've heard the rumors Send them on out. And Rahab, she doesn't do that. She hides them. She opens the door and she's like, hey, they were here for a minute. uh, But they were closing the door, the the gate of the city. And so they they ran out and they escaped. But, you know, y'all are faster than they are. They're just Israelites. Y'all go chase them. Y'all can catch up. Go get them. And so the soldiers, they took their word, took her word for it. And they raced after the Israelite spies. Now, I have to say this because. Everything I read about this mentioned this piece right here, how easy it is to look at this and be like, she lied, right? It's easy to kind of get caught up on this whole, like, oh, wait, she, she lied. How was the story about her? She's a liar. Well, here's the thing. She's a pagan prostitute. What do you expect, right? And then secondly, Scripture doesn't just... Condone it. It doesn't say, like, in her righteousness, Rahab lied. It just simply reports that she lied, okay? So let's not get hung up on the lie of Rahab. Uh, now, again, it's pretty clear that this story is not about her. It's not, or it's not about the spies, it's about her. Because the, the crux, the main part of this story, happens within the next few verses. Look at verses starting in, in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before <coughs> sorry, before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were behind beyond the Jordan, to she I don't know how to pronounce those, to those two guys who were devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who t- belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. Remember that piece. We'll come back to that. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So Rahab's words here are incredible, right? We see in in verse 10, we kind of get a little insight of not just her heart, but the rest of the Jericonians. I don't know, Jericonians, right? We get a little insight into their heart. She says in verse 10, she said, we know all the stories. We've heard the stories of the people of Israel. We have heard the the story of, of the God of the Israelites, We've heard about the Red Sea. We've heard about Egypt. We've heard about those Amorite kings that y'all destroyed. We know the stories. All of us do. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. As soon as we heard it, we knew we were doomed. But do you see there's a, we start to see a little distinction between Rahab and the rest of the Jerichonians. So you see Rahab, everybody heard the stories, but Rahab believed In the God behind the stories. Everybody heard, but Rahab put her faith. She responded in faith. While all the other Jerichoans, they were freaking out, high alert, hiding behind the walls, changing their guard routines, lifting up the gates, all kinds of stuff. Rahab took a different approach. She had faith in the God of Israel. Look at what she says. Verse nine, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know the Lord your God has given you the land. That's confident. That's past tense language. He's already given it to you. I know that. He is the God of Israel. He's already given it to you. He's confident in God's power. But then not only that, look at what she says in verse 11. She says, the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven, above and on the earth beneath. So she didn't just know God's power the power behind the armies of Israel she knew that he was the God of heaven and earth now that's crazy because Rahab she lived in this pagan culture remember she was an Amorite sacrificing children to many gods that's the culture that she was a part of and you would think humanly She would be loyal and faithful to her culture, loyal and faithful to her people, loyal and faithful to her neighbors. But on the other hand, she put her faith in the God of Israel. And she says, your God is the God of heaven and on earth. There's a distinction there. And she didn't have the benefit of seeing the Red Sea split. She didn't have the benefit of, of the pillar of clouds and all that she didn't have the benefit of the miracles but she knew that he alone was God of heaven and earth that's incredible and that's honestly she shows more faith in the God of Israel than the people of Israel right they're a little unsure a lot and she's like he is God he is the God she didn't just believe in him, and his power, his coming victory. She lived and she acted in light of it. Look, here's how uh, this, this pastor and commentator put it. Talking about the faith of, of Rahab. Uh, Dr. Dale Ralph Davis, he said, genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge in God. And Rahab... She didn't just believe in the reality. She completely took refuge in him. Everything that she did, all of her actions flowed out of this belief. That's what true faith is. It's proved in action. It's remember, you know how we say gospel-centered all the time? It's because the gospel is our true belief, and everything that it revolves around it in our life, it flows from our faith. We live it out. In our lives, it affects everything, and that's the same with Rahab. Think about it. In faith, she risked her life. She took those spies in. Well, that's dangerous in itself, but not only that, remember she, pagan prostitutes? She lied to them, to the soldiers. She said, Oh, they're not here. She hid them. And think about that. If Jericho was not a nice place, if they would have just searched her house and found them, They probably would have taken, the the mother and father and brothers and sisters she was talking about, they probably would have taken them all on the streets and just killed them. She risked her life. But not only did she risk her life, but in faith, she identified with the Israelites. As soon as she hid them and she said no to the soldiers, she took a stance. She forsook, forsook? forsook her own culture, her own people, and identified with the people of God. In faith, she identified with the Israelites. And she said, hey, when y'all come, can I go with you? Like, I want to be, be with y'all. That's my only hope. So she risked her life. She identified with the Israelites. And then lastly, in faith, she hung the scarlet cord. And you might be thinking, what are you talking about? We haven't gotten there yet. The spies, as the coast is clear, Rahab throws out a little rope ladder. They climb down from her window. Remember, she lived in the wall. And before they run off, they have this last conversation. Look at it, verse 18 and 20, through 21. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, your blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we will be guiltless with respect to the oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So the men say, Look, take this scarlet thread. The word cord there literally it's kind of alludes to a string. Tie it in the window we just climbed out of. And then get your family, your your, your loved ones, put them in your house. Put them there. And it, when we come, when our when our God takes Jericho for us, everyone in that house will be saved if that thread is hanging there. And so she immediately says, She sent him away, she tied it up. Now that's a little crazy, right? Like risking her life for the spies, identifying with the Israelites, that's one thing. Asking them for help for the future, that's, a, that's one thing. But tying a string, thinking Oh, I'll be saved. That's crazy, right? That's a little weird. And you can think about Rahab as she tied it up there. You know, if, if she, this text doesn't actually say this. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. If she knew the stories of the Red Sea and the stories of Egypt, the stories of the kings, There's a good chance that she knew what happened decades before, right before the Red Sea in Egypt. The ten plagues of Egypt, right? If you're familiar with the story, there were these ten plagues when the people of Israel uh, Israel were in Egypt, slaves in Egypt. God used these ten plagues to get Pharaoh to kick them on out, to set them free. And the last one was the angel of death going to kill the firstborn. And God said, hey, I'm sending the angel of death throughout the land of Egypt. You can go from house to house to house to house to kill the firstborn son. But, he told the Israelites, if you take the blood of a spotless lamb and you put it over the doorpost, everyone in that house will be safe. Will be completely saved. Will be completely rescued. It's very reminiscent of what's happening here, right? The same red cord tied up in the window. Everyone who takes refuge in it, believing in the God behind it, will be saved. Rahab's faith affected her whole entire person. It affected her mind, her heart, her hands. It affected her whole person. She was convinced of the reality of the God of Israel and took complete refuge in the God of Israel. She knew who she was, but she knew who God of Israel was. And she knew that he was her only hope. So the story wraps up. Spies go away. They kind of go hide in the hills for a few days, make it back to Joshua. And I told you they don't give much information to Joshua. They they basically say, truly, the Lord has given all the land in our hands, and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us, period. That's it. Which basically, technically, they're wrong. because. They're melting away because the God of Israel, not the armies of Israel. But we'll let that part slide. So that's what they report back. And the story's over, right? No. Chapter 2 is over. And, and the, story, the spy mission story is over. But Rahab's story is not over. Rahab's story keeps going. And we have to flip over a few chapters to chapter 6. To pick up where we left off. So if you have your Bible and you're following along, flip over to chapter 6. Now over the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through chapters 3 through 6. So I'm not going to give too much away. But I'm not teaching those weeks, so I don't care. Uh, Summing up chapter 3 through 6, sure enough, Israel crosses the Jordan. Remember, settle in Gilgal, right outside Jericho. Big walls. And they're like, oh, okay. God, what do we do? God says, hey, march around the city. March around the city. And they do this for like a week. And then they blow these trumpets and shout. And God says, I will bring the walls down. And sure enough, they do exactly what the Lord says. And what happens? God brings the walls of Jericho down. Down. And as the armies of Israel are about to charge in, Joshua, he grabs those same two spies, brings them in. And here's what he says to them, starting in verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron. They put into the treasury of the house of the Lord, but Rahab the prostitute and her family's household... And all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua, whom Joshua sent to spy out of Jericho. Rahab was rescued. Now we have no idea how long it was between those like few chapters right there between chapter two and chapter six could have been a few weeks, could have been a few months. We don't know, but what I know is that every morning when Rahab wakes up and she sees the thread like waving in the wind out her window, she's partially filled with hope in the Lord. But you got to imagine that was rough, especially when the when the when the soldiers come, the armies come, and she's like, "Here we go!" But then she starts seeing a march, right, and she's like, "Oh man." these guys then the walls start vibrating the walls start shaking and she's saved because of her faith she's rescued because of her faith now here's what's crazy about this remember Rahab's house where was it in the wall how did God give the Israelites Jericho brought the walls down where did the spies, where did, where did Joshua send them to get Rahab? Her house. Now, I, it does not say how this happened. I have zero idea. It could have been that God brought part of the wall down. It could have been one of those things that you see in the movie or you hear stories of where, the, where structure falls but part of the structure are, remain intact. I have no idea. But what I know is that she lived in the wall. She took refuge in the Lord. The walls came down and he rescued her. That's grace. That's mercy. See, to all of Jericho, Joshua and the Israelites, they came as destruction. They came as judgment. The Old Testament tells us that, yes, God was giving uh, giving the land as grace as a gift to the Israelites, but he also says that he's using the Israelites as a tool of judgment to the sins of Canaan. All the ites, how terrible they are. They they deserve God's judgment. They deserve his condemnation. And so he used them as a tool of judgment. And to all of Jericho, Joshua and the Israelites were destruction and judgment, but for Rahab, they were a rescue. That's grace, that's beautiful. But it's not just that she's rescued, she is completely redefined. It says that she was saved, but it also says she was taken in. And it said that she lived with them, she remained with them, she became an Israelite. And it's not like she was like a half citizen, she got the whole thing. And she actually ends up marrying this guy in the tribe of Judah named Salmon. I don't know if it's Salmon or Salmon, but We'll say Salmon. She married this guy named Salmon in the line of Judah, in the tribe of Judah. She was a full Israelite. And and Sam and Salmon and Rahab, they had a son, and his name was Boaz. Boaz. And Boaz, he he married this woman named Ruth who was a Moabite. She was an outsider too. And they had a son. His name was Obed. And Obed became the father of a guy named Jesse. And Jesse actually became a father of the guy named David. And if you keep following this lineage down like the book of Matthew does in chapter 1, you go and you go and you go and you go. And guess who you get to? Jesus Christ. He completely redefined Rahab. Completely redefined her. And if you look at Matthew chapter one and you look at all these names, it lists all the males in the lineage, right? Like that was customary back then. But he lists five women. You have the Mary, mother of Jesus. It says that she married Joseph. But then you have these four women that you would think, I don't know if we should list them. You have this woman named Tamar. You go read her story in Genesis, it's insane. Her and Judah, weird stuff going on. Then you have this this woman named Ruth, right? We just said she's a Moabite. She's an outsider. She is not an Israelite. And then it says, talks about Bathsheba. It actually doesn't even say her name. It just calls her Uriah's wife. Because what is she most known for? She had an affair with King David. And then you have Rahab, the pagan prostitute. God rescued her in grace because of her faith and then he redefined her by grace through her faith. She went from Canaanite and Amorite to Israelite. And she went from pagan prostitute to the the parentage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is grace. And it's, it's funny because Matthew, you remember, he's the tax collector in in Jesus' disciples. And so he was actually the outcast of that group. Or not that group necessarily, but he was an outcast in the land because the Romans didn't really like them. They just kind of used him, And the, the Jews didn't like him because he would take their taxes. And so Matthew goes out of his way to name these four women. And he names these four women as like a badge of honor, not, say, not glorifying who they were, but glorifying the incredible transforming grace of God. He's saying, look at these four women. But through them, we have our, our Savior. And it's incredible how God can take, uh, can take the, something that the world would see as worthless and helpless and detestable and by his grace, redefine it and use it for his glory. That's incredible. And that's the story of Rahab. And there's one thing about this story is uh, a lot of scholars pointed this out. If you go from chapter one, You can go straight to chapter 3, and you don't miss a beat. There's like no information added in chapter 2 that builds up the narrative of Joshua. Nothing. But the writer of Joshua went out of the way to include the story of chapter 2, the story of Rahab, the pagan prostitute. Went out of his way to, to tell this story. Because in the book of Joshua, it's about destruction. It's about conquest. But in the midst of this book of destruction and conquest, there is this story of divine rescue. In the midst of this book of destruction and judgment, there is a story of redeeming, beautiful, transforming excuse me, grace and rescue. It's only by God's grace that Rahab even heard of the God of Israel. Heck, she could have she could have heard about these stories about the God of Israel in her place of work. Who knows? Not not only that, but by God's grace and only by his grace did she not just hear, but she believed. And only by God's grace she was moved to genuine faith and it poured out in her actions. Only by God's grace did he orchestrate these two spies ending up at the house of a pagan prostitute. That is God's grace. That is God's sovereignty. It's another incredible story. Of God leaving the 99 and going after the one. Now, this is a nice story, incredible story, right? Incredible story of rescue, get a spy mission mixed in. It's a great story, but what do we do with it? Last week, when Parker was teaching, he walked us through how to read and interpret, understand the Old Testament, these 10 rules that he mentioned. And one of the rules, he actually says the most important, is remembering that the Bible and all of Scripture is one big story. And all these little stories point to a greater story. And so Rahab's story points to a greater story. Rahab's smaller story of temporary rescue points to a greater story of eternal rescue. Rahab's story of military rescue points to a greater story of spiritual rescue. See, last week we we talked about Joshua and we said how uh, Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads his people into the greater eternal promised land. But this week in this story, we get to see how incredibly deep and rich the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Because not only is, is Jesus the greater Joshua that he leads his people into the promised land, Jesus is the greater scarlet cord. Because he is the greater refuge. The scripture tells us that he, he came and he died for our sins. We deserve judgment, just like all the Jerichonians, just like Rahab, but his blood shed. Here's what it says in Romans 5, 8, and 9. It says, For God uh, shows us his love, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, from the wrath of God. A.W. Tozer summing up what he says. He says uh, to, to, the only way to, to hide and be saved from God is by be, being saved by God, is through God, through the blood. See, instead of tying up a scarlet cord, a scarlet thread in our window, we have, we have a cross. We don't hang a, a cord. Jesus hung on a cross, And it's his blood that dripped down that cross that points us and reminds us of the blood on the doorpost in Egypt and reminds us of the scarlet cord hanging there that it is only by the blood of Jesus that we take refuge. It is only hiding in the refuge of Jesus' blood that we are justified. Because as it says, while we are still sinners, he died for us. But not only that, Jesus is the greater spy which sounds weird, but it's not because he's stealthy. Jesus is the greater spy because he is the greater surety. See, a surety is a person who makes himself or herself responsible for another. Remember those words I told you remember what the spies said? They said, our lives for yours. Our lives are a guarantee for your life. Meaning as long as we live you live. As long as we live, you will be rescued. You will be saved. And the same is true with Jesus, except to the greatest degree, because He is the greater surety. And as long as He lives, our salvation, our rescue is completely sure and is completely guaranteed. Here's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 7. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because, here it is, he always lives to intercede for them. See, Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again. He didn't stay dead, and he continues to live, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, interceding on our behalf. And Romans 8 says, if the same Jesus who died and rose again is seated at the right hand of God the Father and interceding on our behalf, then nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is the greater surety. But Jesus is also the greater Joshua because he is the greater rescuer. See, just like we said, as Joshua and the Israelites, they came as judgment and destruction. The Jerichoans, the Rahab, they sat in condemnation. But Joshua came as a rescuer and delivered her, saved her. And Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to save us from the stronghold of sin and death. But guess what? He's coming again to fully and ultimately, finally, eternally. Rescue us from the presence of sin and death forever. Jesus is the greater refuge, the greater surety, the greater rescuer. But if that is true, what does that mean about us? We are the greater Rahab. You, me, we are the greater Rahab. We are sinful outcasts who prostitute ourselves. She was a prostitute physically. We are a prostitute spiritually. That sounds like strong language, maybe a little bit offensive, but that's, that's what the Old Testament prophets, multiple of them, they use that language. And they use it on purpose to heighten our understanding of the depravity of our hearts. To heighten the understanding of how incredibly messed up and detestable we are because of our sin. We are the greater Rahab. Completely dissatisfied with God. So dissatisfied. So uninterested in a relationship with him. We run to every other created thing in this world and completely give it ourselves to it. We are the greater Rahab. We are all sinners, just like that woman who is up there in the wall, just waiting for destruction and waiting for judgment. But here's the problem. Most of the time, when it comes to sin and brokenness, people have one of two responses. On one hand, you try to hide sin. On the other hand, you try to simply highlight sin. But both are wrong. Both are completely wrong. We, we can't just hide sin and we can't just highlight sin. We've got to be honest about sin. See, on one hand, you try to hide it. Just like the people who, who say, no, 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 she just owns a motel. Or the people who say, well, let's not include them in the genealogy. We try to cover it up. We wear a mask that says, yeah, everything's good. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. You you struggling with anything? Nah. We look at sin and we say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little lie. It's just one look. It's just that website. No one's getting hurt. We look at somebody else. We think the same thing about, oh, uh, my kids aren't that bad. We try to hide it. We try to minimize it. But we can't hide our sin. We have to be honest about it. Because if we are not honest about our sin, honest about how we are the greater Rahab, then we can't experience the greater rescue. We have to be honest and, and confess that sin, both to the Lord and to the people around us. We got to be honest. And on the other hand, we, we highlight sin. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you look in the mirror, all you see written across your forehead is a. Greatest sin you've ever committed. All you see on your name tag is your past. All you see is how messed up, and you're digging your your grave of of shame and guilt. Or you look at other people, and you're like, ugh, they're helpless. Mm -mm. I I can't associate with them. I can't be near them. Oh, Lord, bless them. And we highlight sin, and we focus on it. It's all we see. But we can't just highlight sin. we got to be honest about it. Yes, it is worse than you care to admit. And it's probably worse than you realize. But it doesn't have to define you or that person you're thinking about. Some of you might need to hear that today. That you're not too far gone. That that person, maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's that person you work with. Maybe it's that sister-in-law. They're not too far gone. Why? Because we have a great rescuer. Rahab was a pagan prostitute. But God is is capable in his grace to rescue even the most unimaginable. And if we, instead of hiding sin or trying to highlight sin, be honest about sin and if we're honest about our sin, that we are the greater Rahab, then we have the same hopes that she had. Except we have a greater hope, a greater refuge, a greater surety, and a greater rescuer. Saved by grace through faith. So here's what that means for us today. Some of you, you might be sitting here, and you, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for years. Or maybe you've just been going to church for years. I don't know about you, but I, the band, we circle up every, every Sunday right before service and we pray. And Anna Grace was praying. And she said, God, I pray that you remind us of the good news today because we are so, so, we, we forget it so easily. We become so familiar with it. And my prayer today is if, man, if you've been walking with the Lord for whether a week or 70 years, that you're reminded today that you are Rahab. And, man, you are only saved by grace through faith. Because what does that do? That humbly brings us right back to the cross, to our great rescue, our great refuge, our great surety, in worship and thankfulness. Maybe you're walking with the Lord. You know, that, that quote about genuine faith, of how it's not just the, the reality of believing in the reality of something, but it's actually taking refuge in it. And Rahab put all of her eggs in the God of Israel basket. It, let's be honest, if she, she could have taken in the spies, she could have helped them out, she could have been nice, she could have said, hey, when you come back, help me out. But if she didn't tie that cord, if she didn't go all in, she wouldn't have been saved. That's my encouragement today for you, believer. You were Rahab. You have no hope but to take refuge in the rescuer that's coming. You're not saved by your works, but man, if you that that genuine faith, it proves itself in works. Take refuge in him. Put all your eggs in those baskets. Some of you today. You might be sitting here, and you've been like those Jericonians where you're kind of looking up at those walls. You know, you, you kind of feel it deep down, like, ooh, I know something's coming, but, but these walls, they look pretty nice. They'll probably hold up. It feels pretty good. I don't think these things are coming down. This might last. I might be okay. Honestly, the judgment and is coming. The walls are going to come down. If you live for the temporary things like the wall, the God of Israel brings judgment. Your only hope is taking refuge in the great rescuer of Jesus Christ. And scripture says that if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You put all your eggs in that basket. Say, I am Rahab, but you are my rescuer. Then you will be saved. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to do two things, one of two things. During this next song, you can just, Lord knows your heart, just sit there and just pray, God, I am Rahab. I am worse than Rahab. But God, I give you my all. I take refuge in the blood of Jesus who died for me and raised from the dead from me, for me and lives to intercede on my behalf. God, I give you my all. God, I put my faith in you. And then just worship him. But then the other thing is I wanna encourage you after the service, go to next steps. Out there on your way out, just grab somebody and say, "Hey." I put my faith in Jesus because what we want to do, this isn't like so we can say, okay, now give us money or okay, check this little box. Oh, this is great. We want to pray with you and we want to walk through life with you. Because just like Rahab seeing that scarlet cord wave in the wind, it's not easy. But we want to walk with you through life. And encourage you and pray with you and walk in this journey saying, let's take refuge in the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Because God, truthfully, the people in these seats. The people listening to this podcast, whoever knows, the person on this stage. God, we are the greater Rahab. And God, we deserve destruction, condemnation. We deserve judgment, your wrath. But God, we thank you that you sent Jesus as the greater surety, the greater refuge, the greater rescuer. And God, we give you all praise. God, I pray that you work in all of our hearts, bring us to our knees in humility at the foot of the cross and to you be the glory forever and ever, amen.